All right, hello, Christ community. Glad all of you are here. Greetings to our West Campus, those of you meeting at Northridge, um, as well as our Traditions venue and those who are watching online. Just so glad all of you are, are joining us. Again, glad you're here. Uh, before we, we jump into the message, I wanted to personally encourage you to be a part of our More Weekend next weekend. We as a church long to experience more of the Holy Spirit, um, and, and, and we as a church want to provide an easy on-ramps for that to happen in our lives. And so next weekend, we are providing several opportunities for all of us to grow in our friendship with the Holy Spirit. On Saturday morning from 8.30 to noon, there is a free workshop <clears throat> entitled How to Listen to the Spirit's Voice. It's going to be taught by a dear friend of mine, a guy named Arthur Ellison who is coming in from Tennessee. Now, the cool thing about Arthur is he's not a pastor and he's not a theologian. <clears throat> he is a gifted teacher and he's a strategically minded businessman who knows how to listen to God. And so he <clears throat> approaches this subject, not in an abstract, mysterious way, but rather in a very practical, <clears throat> very real way, a way that all of us can relate to and learn from. And so that's Saturday morning. Details are in the newsletter or on our webpage, but you do need to register. The video was talking about that. This is the event you need to register for, okay? Um, register online for that. Then during our, our worship services, uh, I'm going to be talking about from Luke chapter 11, how we can experience more of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And then in the afternoon, we are offering 15-minute listening prayer times for anyone who wants to experience listening prayer um, and listen, uh, have a team listen to God on your behalf. You, can, you do need to sign up for that after the services next week. You can sign up for that. And then finally, the weekend is going to culminate with a worship and healing and impartation night on Sunday evening where we're going to come together and we're going to create this environment where we can experience more of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to encourage you to take advantage of next weekend. Take advantage of these opportunities next weekend to experience the Spirit in greater ways. It's going to be fun. Okay, so if you have your Bible or you have an app on your iPhone or, or phone or whatever, sorry, iPhone people or non-iPhone people, no offense, whatever phone you have, if you have an app on there for the Bible, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 11. We are finishing up a three-part teaching series on the subject of prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how we can experience a vibrant, effective prayer life like he had. And so for the past two weeks, we've been unpacking this incredibly powerful prayer that Jesus gives us in the first four verses of this passage. If you missed either one of those messages, I encourage you to listen online. You can listen on our app because they really, they're really foundational for a healthy prayer life. Uh, we put together a bookmark that summarizes this prayer. You can find a copy of that online or um, copies are available or bookmarks are available um, that you can pick up at the end of the service just to kind of guide you in your praying according to what we've been learning. Um, well, well, today I want us to continue in this passage in Luke 11 because in the, this next section, Jesus highlights a particular aspect of prayer, an aspect that we easily lose sight of, especially in our busy, kind of overly active culture. And it's what I would call the work of prayer, the work of prayer. 
A vibrant, effective prayer life requires intentionality and effort. Prayer doesn't just happen automatically. In fact, this whole passage in Luke 11 begins with Jesus praying. Verse 1, it says Jesus was praying. The disciples see Jesus praying, and they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Clearly, prayer was a regular part of Jesus' life. Prayer was just Jesus' regular practice. We're told in other passages that Jesus often withdrew to solitary places to get by himself and to pray to his heavenly father. It was an intentional action on his part to set aside time and to go to a quiet place and to pray. And in our our e-group last week, we were talking about the, the, the message and talking about our own prayer life. And one of the questions was to rate your prayer life on a scale of zero to six. And as we were talking about where we're at in prayer, someone made the comment that they, this person said, yeah, in, 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 in terms of conversational prayer with Jesus throughout the day, you know, a prayer here when I'm driving here and all that, this person said, I'm doing pretty well. I would rate myself pretty high. But this person then said, in terms of setting aside a specific time in a quiet place where I am focused only on praying, that's not going very well. I'd probably rate that much lower. And I think... That person, what they were saying, describes a lot of us. Most of us probably experience prayer as this ongoing, available dialogue with Jesus whenever we need it throughout the day, which is certainly one aspect of prayer, absolutely. But if that's all our prayer life is, if that's all our prayer life is, this conversational dialogue periodically throughout the day, if that's all it is, we are missing a huge part of what it means to pray like Jesus prayed. We're missing a huge part of what it means to have a vibrant experience of prayer. Jesus began this teaching in Luke 11. He began with these words, when you pray, say. See, there there is an intentionality. When, there's an intentionality in what Jesus is describing. When you pray, not if, or occasionally, whenever it happens, whatever, it's, it's when you pray. When you set aside time to be with God, here's what you should pray for. See, prayer is not simply an attitude. Oh, yeah, I have an attitude of prayer throughout the day or whatever. It is not simply an attitude. Prayer is an action. It's an action. It is something that Jesus made time for in his schedule. And it's something that we too must make time for if we want to pray like Jesus prayed. I mean, if he needed prayer, if he needed a consistent time of prayer like we're describing and needed to be intentional about it, how much more would we need an intentional time? Of prayer. So if this is not a part of your routine, there's no shame here, no guilt here. If this is not a part of your routine, I just want to encourage you to begin to incorporate this into your life. We do this with other things. If exercise is important, we set aside time for that. We set aside for the thing, time for the things that are important. And so I just want to encourage you, set aside time. But don't feel like you have to set aside like an hour a day or something. If you're just starting, don't feel like that. Start simple. Really, start with like 10 minutes. Start with 10 minutes. Find a place where you can be alone with God And then just start praying using Jesus' model that we've been talking about for the last two weeks. 
Now, I realize depending on your life situation and the stage in life, you may have to be really creative. You may have to be a bit creative, you know, in terms of when that time happens. And that's okay. You can be creative when and where that happens. If you choose early morning, realize that that starts the night before uh, by turning off Netflix earlier, okay? Just a, a heads up there so that you aren't as tired in the morning. That prayer time in the morning begins the night before. Um, but again, the key here is intentionality. We, we have to make time for prayer in order to engage in it, in order to grow in it, in order to see our prayers really making a difference. <clears throat> so with that in mind that intentionality in mind. Let's look at what Jesus says here about how we are to pray. <clears throat> Verse five. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. So Jesus begins this section by telling us a story that illustrates a prayer principle. And it's a story that includes us in it. Did you notice that? He says, suppose you have a friend. He wants, he wants us to put ourselves in this story. So we have a friend that we go to in the middle of the night and we wake him up saying, hey, lend me some bread. I have a friend who's visiting and I have nothing to set before him. Now in that culture, we have to understand the culture to understand this story. In that culture, and still today in many Middle Eastern cultures, <clears throat> hospitality was a huge value. We don't get this in the United States at all. It was a huge value. It was a significant insult to not put a bunch of food in front of anyone who happened to visit your home whenever they visited, day or night. It would be a shameful thing for the entire village if this happened. If there was a guest in your home and you didn't like feed them in an amazing way. So this is a desperate situation for the host. It is not just about feeding his friends some food. No, this is about the host's reputation in the community. And ultimately, it's about the village's reputation. This is a big deal. This host is in a desperate situation. He has a huge and immediate need, which is a vivid picture of prayer, isn't it? We pray because we have a desperate need. Maybe it's for a person that we know. Maybe it's for our own situation. But either way, we pray because there is a need and we can't meet that need. That's what's going on here. 
Now, there's a very old book on prayer. I got it on my shelf. It's falling apart. Really, really old, out of print, by a guy named Hallisby. And I love how he defines prayer. He talks about prayer in terms of, at its most basic form, in terms of helplessness. He says this. He writes, only he or she who is, true, who is helpless can truly pray. Only he or she who is, who is helpless can truly pray. And I love that. Because when, when, you, when, you, when you boil it all down, the, this really is the essence of prayer. Helplessness. And it explains why we don't pray more often. It explains why we don't pray more often. It's because we're fairly self-sufficient. Right? We're, we're not helpless. We're self-sufficient. We pretty much have everything we need. And if we don't have it, we can always get it with Amazon Prime, right? Two days. It'll be at our doorstep. Authentic prayer, authentic prayer comes out of this place of desperate need. And that's why, that's often why our prayer life, and we can all attest to this, this is often why our prayer life increases dramatically when bad things are happening, right? <laughs> when challenging circumstances are happening, our, our prayer life increases. Why is that? Because we are acutely aware of our helplessness. And we, we respond to that by praying. So there's a lot there about why we don't pray. It's because we're not helpless enough. We are, we are self-sufficient. Okay, so back to the story. Jesus says, <clears throat> now suppose the man in the house responds to his friend in need by saying, don't bother me. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm already in bed. My kids are asleep. Go away. Now, the, the point here is that even, even his friendship with this man didn't move him to do anything to help. Not even his friendship moved him. So what did get him to respond? Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Apparently, there is something even more powerful than friendship. And that is shameless Audacity. So what does that mean? There's quite a bit of controversy about this word because it's, never, it's not used anywhere else in the, in, the, in the Bible. And so there are a lot of differing opinions about what this word means. And that's a significant problem because the whole parable hinges upon what this word means. Um, some translations translate this persistence, but the word does not mean persistence. The word literally means shamelessness shamelessness. It, it, it's, a, it's actually a negative word that referred to someone who had no scruples. They had no concern about doing something deemed shameful. They didn't care if they dishonored themselves or other people. It's basically an, it's basically an attitude of, I have a need. I don't care that my friend's asleep. I don't care what he thinks. I'm going over there and I'm going to get him out of bed and have him lend me some bread because I'm in a difficult situation. There, there is an audacity here. There is a, a, almost a rudeness here. This host with the need is not afraid to wake his friend up in order to get his need met, his own need met, his own need taken care of. And Jesus says, that's why he got the bread. Not because he begged and the guy got tired of it. And not because he kept knocking on the door. You can look for yourself. There is no knocking happening in this parable. Even though a lot of people assume that 
It doesn't say anything about it. The text doesn't say anything about him persistently knocking. And not even because he was the man's friend. No, he got the bread because of his bold, shameless audacity. That's the story Jesus tells. And he's sticking to it, apparently, right? Okay, so we got to figure out what does this mean? What does this mean for us and our prayer lives? See, Jesus is using, uh, it was a common form of, of teaching in that day and age. It was sort of this uh, less to more idea. Um, and that's what's happening here. He's using this negative rhetorical example to contrast that to something better for us. In other words, if a supposed friend won't even get up to help you as a friend, but will respond to your rude demands, how much more, how much more will God respond to you when you come to him with a need? That's the point of the story. That's the point of the story, which is exactly where Jesus goes at the end of this passage. Look again at verse 11. Which, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven... Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. See, do, do you see the logic that Jesus is using? He is comparing our relationship with God to a parent-child relationship, one that many, many people can relate to, right? If we, who are not perfect, we're far from perfect, if we who are not perfect parents instinctively know how to give good gifts to our children, we instinctively know how to do this, how much more... Will our father give to his children who ask? See, because of our faith in Jesus, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. I just want to drive this home. Because of our faith in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of God. We are not his employees. We are not orphans begging for his attention. We are his children. And he responds to us as a loving father would. Jesus keeps repeating this because he wants us to get this. It is so important to our praying. Now, Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, um, and, and actually this teaching on prayer, Matthew's version in Matthew 7, he uses the phrase good gifts rather than Holy Spirit. So Matthew says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, next week during our more weekend, we're going to look at um, verse 13 through, the, through Luke's lens and what he says about the Holy Spirit. We're going to look specifically at that. Because he's saying there's, there's a way we can experience more of the Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But for our discussion today, I want to broaden this to include Matthew's point. And here's the point of, of ultimately of both passages. God is a good father. And he wants to give us, his children, good gifts in response to our requests. He wants to help us when we're in need. He is not asleep. He is not too busy. He is not preoccupied, like the story would tell. He's none of that. He is our Father, and because of that, He is eager. He is eager to respond to our requests. Okay, so now that we're clear on what Jesus is communicating in this story about the privilege that we have in coming to a God who loves us, now that we know that, let's hone in on really the heart of this passage. 
which Jesus articulates immediately after telling this story. Let's, let's read this out loud together. Read this with me. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, this statement by Jesus really focuses our attention again on the work of prayer, where we started this passage, this message, the work of prayer, on the intentional effort that prayer requires of us. And there are three specific action verbs that Jesus uses here in talking about prayer, ask, seek, and knock. And in each of these, we've got to understand this, in each of these, the verb tense used in the original language is extremely important. This is not describing a one-time thing. It's not describing, hey, ask one time, forgot to do something. No, the language and the verb tense used here in all of these speaks of a continuous action. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. There is an earnestness. There is a persistence here in this part. There's a tenacity in prayer that's being described by Jesus. This, folks, this is the work of prayer. It is in making time to engage with God in these intentional ways, giving space in our lives to ask and to seek and to knock in an earnest and persistent way, which raises a very relevant question, an important question, and it's one that all of us wonder about. Why, why does God want us to persist in prayer in this way? I mean, why doesn't he just give us what we ask for in a fairly immediate way? And along these same lines, what are we to do with unanswered prayer? Jesus says they're asking, you'll receive. That seems pretty simple. So why are there times when we pray and there seems to be no answer? I mean, what is that about? These are really important questions that many of us, probably all of us, honestly, we wrestle with on a regular basis, on a daily basis, possibly. And here's what, here's what can happen. It is when we wrestle with this, it's very easy to let cynicism creep in. All of us are vulnerable to this. We just let cynicism creep in. We start to feel like God's playing some game with us. He's just dangling the carrot out just out of our reach, and then he moves it again, right? It, it, it's sort of the sadistic kind of thing. We just start to, you know, just wonder how long we'll keep doing that. And our heart, honestly, folks, our heart can go to some really dark places when our prayers aren't being answered, right? We know that. They can go to some really dark places when we're earnestly asking God and our prayers don't seem to be answered. And in fact, usually, we just stop praying altogether, What's the use? But I think Jesus' words here, when we understand what he's saying, I think that his words here can really help us get some perspective on these things. Each of the three action verbs that, he's, that he mentions, each one of them speaks to a particular aspect of persevering prayer, about why we persevere in prayer. Each one of them speaks to this in a unique way. So first of all, the first word he talks about is ask. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. That's very straightforward again, but, but let's just think about this for a moment. Think about the implications of this verse if we take it at face value to mean that whatever we ask for, God immediately gives it. 
Think about the implications of that. What would happen to our relationship with God in that scenario? It would begin to turn it into a vending machine, right? Turn it into a vending machine experience. We put in our, we put in our request, and out comes the candy bar or whatever, right? And now, in that scenario, think about this. In that scenario, what do we do? What do we do? All of us will do this. When we get to a vending machine, we put our money in, and nothing comes out. What do we do? We kick the machine. Come on, all of us do this. We hit or we kick the machine. It took our money. We're getting ripped off. See, the same thing would happen in our relationship with God if he became our cosmic vending machine. When we didn't get what we wanted, we would stomp around and get angry. Actually, we already do that sometimes, don't we? Um, um, what we? What we easily forget here, this is really important, what we easily forget is that our asking is not simply about receiving. <laughs> our asking is not simply about immediately receiving. It's about something far more significant. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. See, to ask requires a posture of humility, a posture of dependence. It, it's a place in which we acknowledge our need and we run to Jesus. We look to Jesus with that need. And by continually asking, we are continually reminded that he is our source of life, right? He is our provider. So by, by continually asking, we're reminded, he's our, he's our father. He's the one who can truly make a difference in these areas in our lives or in the lives of others around us. Our asking is actually a very significant part of relationship. And it, it makes our experience with God much deeper than just a vending machine, right? We don't, we don't want a vending machine relationship with God. We want a relationship with him. And so by coming to him and asking, we're reminded he's our father, we're gonna, he's the one who provides and all of that. Now, there, there is something here, though, there's something particular about this aspect of asking that I think we often miss. Imagine you're a parent and one of your children comes up to you and says, help me, help me. What would your immediate, immediate instinctive response be? What do you need? <laughs> what do you need help with? Right? How can I help you? I mean, in order to answer the initial request for help, we need more specific information. Now, in light of that, think about how we often pray. Lord, bless so-and-so, and bless the missionaries, and bless so-and-so over there, and help so-and-so. And then we wonder why after six months, we're not sure God's really answering our prayers. See, the problem is we're not praying very specifically. We're not asking specifically. So we can't really measure or evaluate progress or success in prayer. I mean, honestly, I don't know, I don't know exactly what God does in response to a Lord bless so-and-so prayer, even though I pray them all the time, especially before a meal or whatever. But, um, um, but I'm not sure how he responds to that. I mean, I guess it's better than nothing, but I think God is inviting us there's no, I'm not condemning anyone for playing. I, I pray it as well. All I'm saying is I think God is inviting us into a prayer experience that is so much more than that. It's got to be so much more than just Lord bless so-and-so, help so-and-so. I've recently been reading, um, rereading actually this book, fantastic book on prayer. It, it's, it's one of the best ones I've read. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It is so good. And so I'm reading it again, just as I'm thinking about this series. I've been reading it for the last couple of weeks. And, and near the end of the book, he gets really practical. He describes his practice of prayer. And what struck me 
was how his practice enables him to pray very specifically. So here's, here's how it happened in his life. One day he was in the midst of a season where he just felt kind of numb in prayer. I don't know if you can relate. I think we all can relate that. Just feel numb spiritually. He was trying to pray and just wasn't getting anywhere. And, and, um, and, and so he, he had this thought right in the middle of this frustration. He had this thought, put the word to work. Put the word to work. So he got out some index cards some three by five index cards. And on each one, he wrote the name of a family member that he wanted to pray for. And then he wrote a scripture verse that he could use to kind of, to shape his prayers for that person. And then he just listed a few specific prayer requests for his daughter or his son, just a few specific requests to pray for them. And then over time, he began doing that. And then over time, he began adding a, a card for, his, for the church and praying for things about the church. And, and for a friend of his who was struggling, he just added another, started another card. And then he added a card for himself, the things that he wanted to see God do in his life specifically. So now when he prays, he just cycles through these cards, not spending more than, a, he says, not more than a few seconds on each one. He's just picking out a couple things to pray for on that card for that person and along with that scripture. And what was so inspiring to me, if you, if you happen to read the book, you'll see he just talks throughout the book. He just talks about answered prayer all the time. He talks about specific answers to prayer. He sees specific answers to prayer on a very regular basis because he is praying so consistently and he's praying so specifically. So I've started this, okay? I started this a couple weeks ago after reading this I, in, in my prayer time with God. As I'm walking through, I, I, I read the scripture, my scripture reading thing, and then I have my cards there tucked into my Kindle. And so then I take these cards out, and as I'm praying through the Lord's Prayer, and Father, and hallowed be your name, all that, then when I get to the your kingdom come, and the kind of give us today our daily bread, it's sort of a mixture there. When I get to that part, I'm, I'm now just starting praying specifically over these cards for people in my life by using these cards. I'm praying for my kids for specific things that God wants to do in their life, that I, these cards I put together. And I, I love it because it is so freeing, and it's so energizing for me. And here's why. Because often I would tell people, they would ask me to pray for them. And I say, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then I would forget. And I just would, I, I feel awful about that, but I just forgot because it wasn't, you know, prayer. I wasn't thinking about it right then. And I, someone told me to pray. Who was it? You know, that, that kind of thing was going on a lot. And so now, now when, when someone asks me to pray, absolutely. And I'm creating a card for them. And I know I'm going to be cycling through that card in my, in my prayer time. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to see specific answers to these prayers. I'm excited to see specific progress being made in these areas because I'm asking for specific things in my child's life, not just blessed to be blessed or to be helped. I'm asking for specific things and have a scripture there for them. So it's really, really fun. I, I, sometimes, honestly, I, I don't want you to feel like I have a car. Some, I, have, I have like several men, six or seven men that I'm praying for. I'm in relationship with. And, and so I just have a card for men. And so I've specifically mentioned their names, but I don't have a specific card for them. So, I mean, obviously this is very, very flexible, but I will say that I'm excited about asking in a, in a, a renewed way than I have in a while. I'm excited about asking and seeing specific answers to prayer. Now, obviously, I just share that because that's one method. I'm not saying you have to do it that way. Obviously not. That's just one person's method. I'm trying it out right now. I kind of like it. Um, there are many others. The point here, the point here is to utilize whatever we need to utilize in order to ask consistently and ask specifically. Ask and keep on asking. 
The second verb that Jesus urges us to engage in is seek. Jesus says, seek and you will find. Now, seeking is different than asking. Whenever the word seek is used in this kind of context in scripture, it always refers to a seeking of God, an earnest pursuit of God. So God says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, seeking takes prayer to a whole new level because in seeking, I am not focusing on God's hand, but on his face. In seeking, I am not focusing on his hands, what he can do for me. I am focusing on his face, on his presence. I just long for him, right? I long for more of him than I long for my needs to be met. I'm seeking after God. And then no, no wonder Jesus describes this in continuous terms because this is not a one-time thing. This is, this is a posture of the heart. This is something we are to persist in and, and continually engage in as we pray. We honestly, we want God more than anything else, right? I mean, when you boil it all down, yeah, we got these needs and all that, but we want God more than anything else. And so we're going to seek after him. And that's why this is so important in our persisting in prayer because it reminds us it's God that I want ultimately. It's God that I want. Now here's the cool thing. Sometimes something really powerful can happen when we begin to seek God in this way. And here's what can happen. Our, Our hearts and our motives can be exposed, right? When we're seeking God in this way, suddenly our hearts can be exposed. The Spirit of God begins to do a work in us. So maybe... We've been praying for our wife to be less critical of us. Or maybe we've been praying for our husband to be more attentive to us. Those are legitimate prayers as we're praying for our spouse. Absolutely, get it on a card, you know, start praying. That's absolutely true. And so, so we put it on a card, we're praying for him or whatever, right? But what if while we're consistently daily, we're praying for this thing, what if God, as we're seeking God, God begins to open our eyes and say, what about your self-centeredness in this relationship? Well, what about your anger? What about the bitterness or the judgment that you're harboring against your spouse? What about your lack of attentiveness to your spouse? See, so in seeking God, our heart and our life become more available to God for him to have his way, for him to have his way in us. It makes me think of Isaiah, you know, Isaiah 6, and he has this experience of God, and holy, 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 he's worshiping God. Remember where that prayer, it gets this, I I confess, I'm a man of unclean lips, there's confession there. Remember where it ends up? Here I am, send me. What if we're the answer to the prayer that we're praying? See, it's in seeking God that that would happen. Or we're seeking God's face and suddenly his spirit speaks to us. It's like, why don't you change this? Why don't you do this? The spirit gently speaks to us in that way. So we become actually part of the answer. But that happens as we're seeking God, which is another reason why persistent praying is so important. Maybe God wants to change us in the process. Maybe he wants to change our hearts in the process. So we seek after him. We seek after him. Well, the third verb Jesus uses is knock. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now, this is an interesting image, given the fact that we're told that in Christ, the veil that kept us from the Holy of Holies is now 
torn, right? It is no longer there. There is no barrier between us and God. We can boldly come to his throne of grace. So if that's the case, what does this mean? What does this door represent? I think it speaks to the spiritual battle that we're in. Jesus once said that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. A gate is like a door. There are doors that in the spiritual realm are closed and God wants them opened. But that's going to require some knocking. That's going to require some persistent knocking on our part. It's going to require some battlefield praying. It may even involve some fasting. Some fasting. I mean, fasting is a way to add intensity and focus in our praying. It's a powerful way to knock on a door that you feel like God wants to open. There's this powerful example of this principle in the, in the book of Daniel, uh, where Daniel prays, he wants some insight from the Lord. So he starts praying into his particular situation. Nothing happens. And so he begins fasting and praying for three weeks, 21 days. He, he fasts and prays for three weeks. And at the end of that time, an angel appears to him and says, hey, Daniel, since the first day you prayed, I've been trying to get to you, but this demonic presence over Persia, he's kind of a big dude, and he was hindering me. But I've been trying to get here, and I'm finally here. There was a battle going on, and folks, Daniel's prayers were a part of the battle. Daniel's praying, his persistent knocking was a part of the battle. His willingness to persevere in prayer and to keep knocking were part of the actual battle. As we talked about two weeks ago, man, when, when we pray for God's kingdom to come into situations of darkness and despair, we are engaging in battle. And those things don't topple over easily. They, they don't. Those battles aren't defeated instantly. We have to persevere in prayer. We have to knock and keep on knocking. Some of you, perhaps some of you here are, are growing weary in prayer because you're praying about something and it just nothing seems to be happening. You're growing weary in prayer and, and you're tempted to give up, but don't give up. Don't give up. There are very specific reasons God wants us to do the work of prayer and to per persevere in our praying. There are specific reasons. It stirs our dependence upon him. Keep running to him because it stirs our dependence upon him as our father. It enables us to just to seek him and to maybe be changed in the process where we are changed in the process. And it engages in spiritual battles. It engages in a significant way in spiritual battles that are actually helping drive back the enemy's work. All that's happening when we persevere in prayer. So, so ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Your intentional and earnest praying matters. It matters. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to enter into a time of response here where we are going to practice what we're talking about here. And we want to create an environment where we can respond to what we've just heard. And let me just say, if, if you're a person who doesn't believe in God or maybe you're a bit hesitant about the whole God thing, you are so welcome here. Um, we love you, and we're really, really glad you're here.
really. So don't feel any pressure to respond along with us. You can just kind of chill out. But for those of us here who do believe in Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to respond in prayer. And so here's, here's how this is, how this is going to work. You, you may be at a place right now where you're feeling prompted to ask for specific things. Maybe you just haven't been asking specific enough. Maybe things you've given up on, you know, with God, but God's stirring in you this longing to ask again. So that's one scenario. Secondly, you may be at a place where your heart is just being stirred to seek God afresh. You feel like, man, I've been seeking his hand, but not really his face. And so there's a stirring just to open your heart to God and seek him and what he might want to say to you. Or third scenario, or there could be a mixture, but third scenario would be you're at a place where you're facing a closed door. And God is prompting you to knock and keep knocking. He is prompting you to spend some time knocking on that door in prayer. So we want to create an environment where you can pray if you'd like to pray. You, you can pray um, in any of these areas. Our worship team, just a, a couple minutes, the worship team is going to come out. They're going to lead us in some songs. But before they begin singing, we're just going to have this time of a couple minutes of just praying quietly, an opportunity for you to pray. There's no pressure to engage, but if you would encourage you to pray, you can get on your knees if you want to. You can, um, you can go to one of our prayer team members. We're going to have our prayer team available during this whole worship time. And so the people with red lanyards around the room, they're going to go to their places in just a moment. You can go up at any time during this worship or prayer and just have them pray for you. This is a sanctuary Sanctuary means a place of safety and refuge. It's a place set aside for worship and prayer. So feel free to engage however you'd like to engage in prayer in these moments. And what we're going to do is put a slide up that just kind of as a reminder of, of the, the responses that we're talking about here. To ask specifically or to seek God's face or to knock for a door to be open. So let's just close our eyes. And, and God, I just thank you for what you're teaching us about prayer. And I pray right now that we would respond in the quiet of our heart in these moments. We would ask and seek and knock. We would respond to what you're prompting us to do and help us grow in our praying. And we thank you that you hear our prayers because you're a good father. Thank you, Lord.